Hello, and welcome to the Frontier Strategy Group podcast series. FSG is the leading information services partner for emerging markets executives. We partner with business leaders at more than 200 multinationals by providing them with research, analytical tools, and proprietary data that help power their emerging market business strategies. The focus of today's podcast is why companies must localize their Saudi business. My name is Richard Leggett, and I'm the CEO of Frontier Strategy Group, and I'll be moderating today's podcast. I'm joined today from our London office by Matthew Spivak, FSG's head of research for the Middle East and North Africa, and the author of our new report on Saudi localization. As a reminder, this podcast and all of FSG's content is available via our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com or via your FSG iPad application. Matthew, welcome and thanks for joining me. Great to be here. Before we dive in-depth into the discussion, I thought it's always good to start with a a bit of an executive summary. So could you give a a summary view uh, on the localization topic in Saudi Arabia? Absolutely. So Saudi Arabia is, as our clients know, one of the uh, largest emerging markets in the Europe, Middle East, and Africa. But unfortunately, it's on an unsustainable growth path, and that is something that really threatens long-term prosperity, uh, something that is not necessarily on the radar for everybody. Now, in addressing this problem, the the, uh, government is focusing on economic diversification, and we see that increasingly the government is going to be pushing companies to localize their presence or being shut out of the market in order to capture these opportunities. And the success for companies really requires that they demonstrate a willingness to add value to the Saudi economy really thinking about things like tightening relationships with local partners, hiring more Saudi nationals, and then also uh, even considering uh, capital investments. What is driving this urgency behind Saudi Arabia's drive to find economic diversification and sustainable growth? Saudi Arabia, it's seeking to address really some major economic vulnerabilities. One is oil dependence, and then the other is uh, demographic challenges. Uh, First with oil dependence. Oil, it accounts for 90% of government revenue. Everyone knows that. Uh, but what's often overlooked is how much that dynamic actually already hurts growth today. If you look at statistics over the last 20 years, look at between 1993 and 2013, the Saudi economy expanded by an average of about 5% in years when uh, Brent crude prices increased. But it only expanded by about 1.8% in years when prices decreased. So on a year-to-year basis, what's happening with oil prices has a profound impact on growth in Saudi Arabia. So that's from an oil dependence perspective. Matt, if if I could interrupt just for a second on that, just given what we've seen uh, in the last uh, month or so, just in terms of the the, the sharp move downward in oil prices, have you analyzed what happens to growth based on kind of ranges of oil price movements? I would imagine the sharper the downturn, the more dramatic the impact to growth, especially with that 90% dependence. Absolutely. It definitely is going to have an impact. And, you know, impact a, a market like Saudi Arabia differently than it would impact a market like Iraq or Iran, and that's because Saudi Arabia is actually a little bit more insulated than markets that are experiencing some type of uh, volatility. With Iran, it's it's more economic-related sanctions, and because of that, they have less room to diversify and attract foreign investment. With Iraq, it's it's really the um, political instability and the dependence on, on high oil prices for that. So it wouldn't necessarily impact Saudi Arabia as much as those markets, and also you factor in the uh, that Saudi Arabia has the fifth highest uh, foreign exchange reserves in the world. It's another area that really insulates the economy to some extent. But yes, having oil prices decrease is something that's going to cut down a little bit on what the uh, prospects are for growth in Saudi Arabia. And you were about to turn to the second challenge, the demographic challenge, before I uh, interrupted. So why don't you go ahead and, and cover that one as well? 
Yeah, so uh, of the two economic vulnerabilities, you know, oil dependence is, is the one that everyone knows about. I think demographic challenges is, is maybe not as much on, on people's radars unless they're uh, pretty actively um, operating in Saudi Arabia. Um, two-thirds of Saudis are under the age of 30, and the youth unemployment rate is at least 30 percent. Uh, so when you take that into account and think about where the government priorities are, I think it's not a surprise that job creation is a huge priority, really the number one priority in the country right now. The government needs to ensure that enough jobs are created to keep up with about 100,000 graduates that enter the job market every year. And when you take into account that there's a skills mismatch right now, it really makes it hard to increase employment, um, especially in the private sector, you know, which is composed of nearly 90% expatriate workers. So really the government has its work cut out for it as far as trying to really encourage more sustainable growth. What are some of the opportunities, and, and then we'll do challenges, that go along with this localization theme in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, companies can, can entrench their Saudi business to take advantage of opportunities, and they can also, as they localize, they're going to be able to come overcome obstacles that, they, that we've heard uh, them identify over the years. So, as you said, first with opportunities, I think a local presence is particularly important for companies that want to sell into new customer segments. You know, that's a that's a huge theme as far as thinking about profitability, being able to identify new customer segments. In Saudi Arabia, that's a quality of life sectors, so sectors like e-governance, public transportation, um, a, a lot more emphasis on parks, sports stadiums. So those are some of the new customer segments that, you know, to be in Saudi Arabia is really critical in order to capture them, but then also maintaining a competitive edge in priority sectors. So the sectors where we've already seen a lot of spending, like education, you know, building new universities, expanding uh, the technology that uh, are, are in the different schools, healthcare, so building healthcare clinics in different cities or more hospital beds being able to be expanded in different parts of the country. Housing is another area that's a huge opportunity that companies are prioritizing. As you see more and more companies localized, it's something that will be required because if your company is not doing it and all your competition is doing it, you're going to fall behind, particularly in areas like the public tender process. Let's talk for a second about the, the challenges of localization. Yeah, there are several challenges that really require a local presence. So as far as what are the challenges of localizing, that's something that we're going to be examining in upcoming reports. Um, we have a report coming out that's going to look at um, recruiting and retaining uh, Saudi talent. And then we're also going to have a report on um, uh, tightening relationships with local partners. So those are some of the challenges um, that companies are going to need to address and that we're going to be uh, looking at. But as far as some of the areas that you can overcome challenges uh, by localizing, the government's really becoming more selective in which foreign investors it allows to support its economic diversification plans. This is not always a stated official policy, and that's really important. Something that it has been a gap, I think, between companies that are you know, doing okay in Saudi Arabia but don't have much of a local presence, and then companies that are on the ground that are navigating the, the uh, different uh, areas of doing business and have an understanding of, of where things are going. Other unofficial obstacles for companies uh, with a limited presence, you know, it, it can include anything from not receiving invitations to bid on public tenders uh, to even sometimes being ignored or, or seemingly being ignored by the Saudi investment agency. So a lot of things uh, as far as capturing opportunities, but also overcoming obstacles that are important in the localization process. So is it safe to say, Matthew, that one of the key success factors or key requirements for our, our, our clients really has to be to turn up their government engagement strategies as well to kind of marry that with this localization strategy? 
Absolutely. I think that the government engagement really underpins uh, how a company goes about localization. Uh, in the end, you know, it's important to do this as far as capturing opportunities, overcoming obstacles, but this is all about aligning with government priorities. So being able to hire Saudi nationals, being able to transfer skills and expertise, doing other things that the government is prioritizing right now, it all comes back to government engagement and establishing the right relationships for the long term because the days of companies taking out of the economy and not putting anything in are really over. So let's explore that. What are some of the ways that uh, companies can demonstrate uh, what you refer to as long-term commitment to the Saudi market? There's a lot of different ways. Uh, you know, one way is offering to transfer knowledge to local partners, uh, you know, knowledge that can help them um, in some of their most uh, pressing areas of need. Uh, so one example of that would be helping them institute international corporate governance standards. One of the things that we hear, uh, not only in Saudi Arabia, but in the rest of the Middle East and North Africa, is challenges working with locally family-owned businesses, uh, where you have companies that were established generations ago by uh, the patriarch of a family who uh, you know, has diversified over the years into different sectors. He might have sons that will run different business units. But as the years go by, and the questions come of issues like succession planning, you know, if he's not going to be in the leadership, which of his sons will be, you know, things like having a board that is independent, uh, that can help lend advice, all these areas as far as having some of these corporate governance standards, we're finding more and more that uh, Saudi companies are prioritizing this. And something that actually I found when I had a recent trip to uh, Jeddah, spoke with a couple of local Saudi companies that, that named this as an area where they're looking to get more expertise from their foreign partners. Another area that companies can, can prioritize to show long-term commitment is considering hiring and developing more Saudi women. Uh, this is something that really does align with one of King Abdullah's top policy priorities. We're already seeing a lot of very large uh, Western multinationals prioritizing this. Companies like GE, Nestle, some of the other big players in the market, they're prioritizing hiring women, not just because it aligns with uh, King Abdullah's top policy priorities, but because they're finding that they bring uh, an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, that they are really hungry to use um, their education. Uh, There's a lot of very educated Saudi women uh, that, that are uh, out there looking for jobs right now. Uh, so it's another area where it can benefit companies, but it also shows a long-term commitment. And then finally, uh, another uh, last area, thinking more long-term, is looking into setting up local manufacturing facilities to expand your reach in the Saudi market. Uh, I said before, the, the government is starting to invest in different customer segments, but it's also looking at expanding in different regions. So the northern part of the country and the southern part of the country that was less developed is starting to get a little bit more attention. Having local manufacturing will make it much easier to reach those parts of the country. Yeah, I was going to say, we've seen other uh, in other regions and other countries, multinationals expanding beyond top-tier cities uh, as a way to demonstrate uh, true commitment to uh, to the, those markets. Is that is that relevant here? It is relevant. It, it's relevant from a long-term perspective, from the perspective of you need to have a local presence to understand where that investment is going. I think for the most part, you're going to still see pretty uh, specific focus on uh, Riyadh, you know, the capital where a lot of the government uh, business emanates from, even if the government projects are not in Riyadh, you know, having some sort of representative there is critical for government projects all over the country. You know, Dimam in the east, which is really where the main part of the oil infrastructure is, will still remain important for that. And then in, in the western part of the country, uh, Jeddah, uh, very important for from a perspective of finance, uh, because it's near Mecca and Medina from a religious tourism perspective. They're going to still remain the priorities as far as city-specific investment, but you are going to see some expansion into the northern part of the country, into places like Hayal, 
and into the southern part of the country where there's more industrial development going on and you're going to see more populations moving there for jobs and and in the future uh, you obviously have priority for expanding into those cities. Help me understand the urgency for our clients uh, to change their approach here in Saudi. Is this a short-term uh, set of actions that needs to be taken, uh, or does this play out over a much longer period of time? And, and help me understand how that how that moves with uh, what we're seeing in the energy prices right now. If, there, if that if that increases the uh, the intensity and the velocity at which change needs to happen. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing more and more that companies are really faced with two options here. It's it's either be proactive and stay ahead of change that, that we see coming, or, or remain complacent and, and you know have the potential of falling behind competition. I think that when you look at the urgency, this is something that the government has prioritized, and it, the government has shown last year when it inputted new, more stringent labor regulations that it's willing to to have policies in place that might have a short-term negative economic impact for the country in order to promote long-term change. So thinking about uh, oil prices going down, I think that really even makes it more important because the the government understands that although it can kind of maintain a a certain level of stability because of, you know, huge amounts of foreign exchange reserves, because of a lot of spending that's taking place in other parts of, of the government, other parts of the country, this is something that it's really committed to, and that uh, regardless of setbacks that you might see on specific sectors, different project delays that might occur, the government very much views this as either the economy changes and you start seeing a lot more uh, Saudi nationals being employed in the private sector, Um, you see a more diversified economy, or it's going to start being a threat to stability. And I don't want to say that this is a threat to stability right now, but this is really the way the government's looking at it, that it's that high of a priority. So what companies need to think about is what they can do now. Uh, and you know, thinking about something like setting up local production manufacturing facilities, that's not something that the government is requiring right now. So that's a little bit more long term. But what they are starting to require is demonstrating that you're um, putting money into the economy, that you're hiring Saudi nationals, that, that you're doing something um, to train them and, and give them more opportunities. Um, and one of the things that companies will see is that on an ongoing basis, the labor regulations that are in place right now, Saudiization, they're going to continue to change. Uh, this is not something where they, the government has said, okay, we're going to keep it in place and then see what happens. They're going to continue to tighten them, continue to tweak the regulations, and that's going to place a lot more impetus on localizing, but it also is going to mean that companies that aren't there right now are going to really be left behind because they're not going to be able to react fast enough to the changes on the ground. Matthew, thank you. It looks like we're up against time. But in summary, I think your last point is very important call to action for our clients. In summary, the days of counting on high profits from your Saudi business without contributing to the local economy, those days seem uh, like they are over. We look forward to the subsequent pieces to go deeper on some of these localization strategies. And as a reminder, you can speak with Matthew or any of the FSG analysts by simply reaching out via your client relationship director. You can also access the full Saudi localization research and all of FSG's content on our portal at portal.frontierstrategygroup.com. This concludes our podcast. Until next time, we wish you great outperformance across your emerging markets portfolio. 